think we really have any major announcements this morning other than uh, there is a visitor's list there in the back, and if you're visiting with us, we'd love to get your information so that we can uh, give you more information about our small groups, which are starting up next week for adults. Uh, if you're in college, our winter camp, which is coming up, uh, and some of the other things that, uh, that we're doing. So, yeah, put your information back there. Uh, so we're going to start a sermon series kind of today, loosely. We like to start things loosely, soft starts. We have a soft start on our Roman series today. We won't really get into it uh, until the beginning of February. And the reason for that is because we want to wait till all of our college students are back, and we usually preach two obligatory but important sermons at the beginning uh, of our series on just who we are as a church. And uh, so we're going to do that. We're going to continue on from... Uh, last semester and do those two sermons about our church in story form. So that'll be good. That'll be fun. And we'll start that here in a, a couple weeks once our students are back. Um, but this week and next week, we're going to talk about the very last two chapters from Romans, which is kind of a weird place to start. But um, our particular focus is really on evangelism and uh, talking about the good news in terms of transitioning out of the sermon series uh, last semester. But what you can do to prepare is start listening through Romans, all right? And uh, I, I think that you ought to listen through it because it's pretty hard to read and understand. Um, and so it would be great for you to listen first and then go back and try to read it. But we're going to be doing just chapters, so it'll be pretty easy. Uh, all of it's on the Facebook. We're going to go, except for the first two weeks where we do 15 and 16, we'll go 1 through uh, 14. And so listen through it. Certainly welcome to watch the Bible Project videos. There's two of them in particular on Romans, and they're somewhat helpful uh, for giving you a comprehensive outline of what Romans is and what it's saying. Um, but just hear me say this as I say it probably every time I get up here. Try to listen to Romans. Okay, if you're one of those that says, oh, I'm frustrated because Romans is so hard and it's just, I don't understand it. And then I find out that you've been reading it. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. I'm going to remind you, listen to it. Okay, listen. You don't have to have CDs or anything like that. Like I use Biblica.org or something. I don't even know. Sorry, I'm used to, when I had to listen to the scripture, I had to listen to it on CDs, okay? Um, whatever, I hate you all. Uh, so, you can listen online, pick a voice that you like, you know? I mean, sometimes it's really off-putting, some people's voices reading through scripture. There's plenty of people doing it, and it's free online. Listen through uh, Romans each week, you write some notes, go back and read it after you've listened to it, try to understand what's being said. Um, our sermon series really is called Romans and Politics, and so we will be addressing uh, major political issues uh, as we work our way through Romans. But as if, if you've read the um, you know, outline there, you can see that, that the whole idea of talking about politics is sort of a secondary, maybe even tertiary, tangential goal of ours. The goal is not to just discuss major political issues through our sermon series. Uh, it's not a political advocacy group. Um, we are simply using that as a framework to talk about some of the really important concepts in Romans, okay? But we will address a lot of those things, and so if you're particularly interested in that, uh, or one topic or another, we'll invite you to do some worship activities along with that. Uh, if you have someone who you've heard speak, we love to bring people outside of the church to come and speak on some of those topics. I already have two or three people coming from our churches, and then one person coming from a political advocacy Christian group in Texas. Um, so, anyway, there's some cool things that are a part of that, and want to welcome you to do that. Also, we don't know what class we're going to teach uh, this semester, so if you've got some really great ideas, we always do a morning class at least once or twice a semester. Uh, maybe we should just do something on how to be involved in politics, I don't know, or something like that. Um, I don't know. We'll see. But if you've got ideas, let me know, and we'll, uh, we'll address them. Sound good? Uh, so, again, our adult small groups start next, not this next week, like next week, but like one week from now. Okay, uh, and uh, many of you, you know, you'll be in the same small group again, but uh, there'll be different topics this time, right, for most of your groups, except for one uh, group. Okay, and uh, yeah, so good, great. And then uh, in two weeks from now, uh, college students will be at Focus uh, Winter Camp, and so we will do uh, split guys, girls, talking about dating, marriage, relationships, all that fun stuff, stuff that you thought was over because you're out of college, uh, we're going to talk about it, all right? And um, it'll be a, a fruitful conversation, I promise. It won't be awkward or weird or lame. It'll be very helpful. Something that we should talk about. Um, so, yeah. All right? I'm going to pass the offering basket. I don't, uh, let's see. How do we do this? 
best way. Uh, you three lovely ladies sitting up here in the front, just uh, kind of figure it out. <laughs> Think it'll work. We'll make it work. Questions, thoughts? We've been away from each other for a couple uh, weeks, so, you know, if you've got any uh, thing you need to say, say it now. Question, Question yes, sir. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I, it'll be up to the speakers to decide exactly what they want to focus in on. But the best thing to do is just to be guided by, uh, the chapters are pretty topical, as a side note. So they are building up to uh, an idea or an argument uh, or a thought, but go along with the, um, the titles. Believe it or not, the sermon titles this semester actually have something to do with what will be spoken about. Um, so that, that makes it nice. So you can use those as a guide. The particular political issue underneath, so for instance, the first one is on natural, cultural, and legal law. Well, let's just skip that one because everyone's like, what's that? Uh, the one after that, I think, is on the criminal justice system. Uh, and so, you know, if you want to look into or think about things related to that, uh, feel free to look at that the week before as well and then bring questions, comments, thoughts, that kind of stuff. Yeah, Austin. Yeah, it's on Facebook. It's no, no, well, no, it's, well, yeah, I mean, that's always a good idea to listen all the way through. And particularly if you look at the Bible Project video, Romans can be somewhat neatly broken up into four parts, all right? The first one to four chapters is really all about sort of like the problem of humankind uh, and how Israel doesn't have it any better than the Gentiles do in regard to sin. You know, five through nine is all about the hope that we have in Christ, all of us, both the Gentiles and the Jews, and how that hope is the same for everyone, and that the Gentiles are not uh, inferior to the Jews in terms of not having been Jewish first and Gentile after. Uh, and that, yeah, right? Yeah, woo. And then, uh, you know, pretty much 11 through 12 is kind of a sp specifically, or really 9 through 11 is speaking specifically to Israel. And, um, you know, kind of talking about the, the role of um, Israel in be, the salvation bring, being brought to all the Gentiles. And then the last couple chapters are really about uh, specific kind of morality and ethical behavior uh, of Christians, particularly of interest to the, uh, the Roman church. So you can break up into those four, and it'd be helpful to listen to those in those four separate sections. And if you've forgotten already what those four sections are, Bible Project Video has them for you broken up into the four sections. So it'd be great to listen to the four sections, uh, you know, and then l listen again to the first section while we're in the first section. But yes, if you look at the schedule outline, so for February 10th, we're on Romans 1. So before February 10th, listen intently to Romans 1. Yeah? Pretty cool? Makes sense? Nice. Great, yeah. Sure. Romans is difficult. Um, and uh, I think the main reason why it's difficult is because so much has been written about it, and people often go to Romans for a um, systematic kind of theology, which just means a comprehensive view of the gospel. And while, yes, it is Paul's most comprehensive letter written about the gospel, it still isn't systematic theology. We don't use it separate from anything else. And it, it can be a little bit philosophical at times, and as such, a kind of contradictory but it's in the contradictions that I think you'll find a lot of the wisdom in the gospel, which is uh, don't go to this extreme and don't go to that extreme. And that's part of the reason we're using it as a backdrop for political discourse is because we have a tendency to go to one uh, or other of the extremes rather than really understand that so often, as the proverb uh, writer says, you know, we should avoid those. There's some truth, obviously, in the middle and in the nuances and not in the middle, meaning you don't have an opinion and you're indifferent. Uh, as you'll see in Romans, that's not okay at all as an alternative. Uh, but that you really understand and can, un you can kind of find a place amidst the middle ground and, um, and have uh, full knowledge of, of what both sides are, are actually saying. And then rest, uh, 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 not rest, but be alongside people who have uh, different opinions than you. All right, any other questions or thoughts about that? Okay, great. So I'm sorry, I have the cold again for the second time in a month. I don't know if I re-got the cold. Can you re-get the cold from the same germ, virus, I mean? I, you can't, right? Because didn't your body have antibodies for it? I don't know. 
well, oh, thank you. But I'm sure there's multiple versions of it. I'm convinced it's because I drink out of my water jug and milk jugs. Instead of a cup, I just drink straight out of the gallons. What? I did change out my toothbrush. But I didn't, like, disinfect anything, really. If I drink out of the jug, I'm convinced that's what it is. It's the jugs. But then again, would I have the same jug a month later? That's kind of weird. Water? No, no, none of them. No, I don't get it. I don't know. You guys can help me understand. So I don't want this for a third time. Okay, um, so Romans 15. And I'm going to avoid going too much into the history of Romans since we're at the end here. I'm going to let Romans sort of speak for itself rather than try to uh, go too much into the background. We'll do that a little bit more in Romans 1. But the important points that you would get if you read a simple commentary uh, or introduction on Romans is simply that this is one of the few areas that Paul has not visited by the time he's done with his third missionary journey. He says so in Romans 15. It's an area that he's had on on his heart multiple times to go and visit. It's an important area, right? Although one of the things that's really interesting about the world that Paul occupied, and one of the things that we often don't quite get from the scripture, is most of the cities where Paul institutes churches and starts churches have much more of a Hellenistic or Greek influence than they do a Roman influence. We won't go too much into the differences between Roman culture and Greek culture, uh, and other than just to say that they were different, and so Paul wanted to go to Rome as an opportunity to present the gospel to a different variety of Gentiles, being of Roman influence, and he had been prevented from doing that multiple times as he talks about. But they were distinctly different from each other. It's very easy for us to think, oh, Gentile, they're all pretty much the same. Uh, Their own empire was huge, and it had an Eastern Greek influence and a Western Roman influence, which is even today what we see with the Greek Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Some of those splits carried on. Uh, Anyway, What's happening here is you've got a fledgling group of primarily Jewish Christians in Rome that started a church. And then when the emperor kicked out all the Jews, okay, for about five-year period, that church became predominantly Gentile. And so as Jewish people were invited back in after this time period, all of a sudden they come back to their home church and their church is very different, full of very different people with very different ideas and understanding, okay, it would be kind of like if all of us college students somehow got kicked out of Denton. This is a terrible analogy, and I'm just off the top of my head, which is always a bad thing. <laughs> I'd be for it, to be honest. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm so- <laughs> sorry. I just, the summers and the winter breaks are just always so nice and peaceful with all the college students gone. Um, so if college students just got kicked out of Denton, right? And for a couple years, and then you guys all came back, and many of you came back, and like the entire church was just like, uh, senior citizens, right? All over 60s. And you come back and you're like, what, what is this? Which is the most laughable part of that entire thing is imagining me being the uh, preacher still of a senior citizen church. Not for sure how that would happen. But um, anyway, that that's, can at least give you some kind of inkling, an idea, an impression of what's going on here. This is different. So obviously there's going to be a lot of conflict. There are a lot of problems uh, Paul has already dealt with this Jewish-Gentile um, you know, kind of set of problems in almost every church he's been to, but he's using his collective wisdom and knowledge and experience now to deal with these issues and for once put this all on paper and make it very clear, here is the path forward for the church of tomorrow, okay? And as the church spreads from Rome very quickly, this is how we've got to live in unity with one another. And so it's just a, a really, really important book for how to move forward when you have a whole lot of different people with a lot of different ideas and beliefs, how they can all come together, agreed upon in the gospel and an understanding of God's character and you know, live alongside each other in peace. And so, again, there's a great reason why uh, we would want to use that for uh, a conversation about politics. All right? So Romans 15, we'll just read uh, 1 through 22. You do have to to realize this this picks up on the tail end of 14, which is a whole conversation about how to treat people who are living in in ways that they're limiting their freedom in Christ. They don't eat meat sacrificed to idols um, and a variety of other things that they just can't get over. And so Paul is calling them weaker in their conscience and in their faith, 
and giving instructions to the stronger among them how to deal with and interact with people who um, have a belief system that's a little bit more like the old law and not more like a fuller understanding of uh, the new kind of gospel ethic, right? It's kind of like Paul on top of the roof, right, of Cornelius' house, and God tells him, go and eat. And he says, surely not, I would never eat anything unclean. And then Paul realizes, okay, you know, uh, God told me to eat, so I should go eat. But remember, even after Paul gets that very vision and message from God, what happens within a year in his ministry that Paul kind of, as a young believer, slaps his hand on? No? Biblical knowledge? Peter, yeah. No, Peter, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, that, but then you still at least know what I'm talking about, I think, which is good. It happens, you know? Is that all you got? I mean, what, no. Okay, so let me rephrase it then to make it easier. Um, so Peter, on the top of Cornelius' uh, house, he's been told, go and eat these unclean things that he associated very closely with his belief in God. Can't do these things, thou disobey God. He says, okay, I realize now God has come even to this house, of Cornelius' house. So even within the next year, Peter, while having heard that from God still does what in regard to the Gentile people? What? Whenever the Jews are around, he chooses not to be around the Gentiles. And Paul says, whoa, what are you doing, man? God told you this is okay for you to do. And you can see the culture. From, I mean, he's our father of our faith in terms of, you know, the rock of the church, all these things. And he himself, even after having these things been revealed by God to him, couldn't associate with these people whenever the Jews were around. That's the kind of pressure you see. A good man like that, not a bad guy. And Paul, young in his faith, which was certainly a humbling experience uh, for uh, Peter, and Peter talks about that later in his letters, um, is rebuked by him, right? And so this was this, this, these kinds of issues were very important, and uh, they uh, had a lot to do with some of the things that, that they were struggling with here. All right? <coughs> Excuse me. Whoa, I'm going to make this dirty, and Leslie, you're going to get the cold after uh, the cold, <laughs> the bug. What? Okay, well, you're, okay. Um, so here we go. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written... The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Let me back up for a moment here because I'm meant to do something. I need three people to look up three verses for me. I think I just burped. It's a first. I really didn't take that much Dayquil this morning. Um, okay. Who's got Psalm 117? All right, great. So... When I finish reading verse 11, there's a lot of numbers. People, Chelsea tells me all the time I give people too many numbers um, to memorize. But once verse 11 is done, I want you to read Psalm 117. And if you forget, I'll just look at you with a very mean stare. As if like, hey, idiot, can you get, get this? Or... Okay, good. Uh, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. Got it? Okay. Margot, so verse 12 is when you'll read that, all right? Same thing with the look. Uh, and then the last one is Isaiah 52, 7 through 15. Okay, but here's the rub on this one, all right? You can't do NIV, bro. NIV kind of butchers this. You got to do NRSV. Is that possible? Nah. Uh, they're right here in the footnotes of the, of the scripture. Basically, so um, what I want to kind of train you to do just naturally particularly as you read through Romans, is any time there's a reference to the Old Testament, go back and read the Old Testament reference. You got to do that to understand what Paul's doing because about 50% of the time, you'll go back and read the Old Testament reference and you'll be like, what? How does that have, is Paul just trying to like meet his citation quota here? Like what? <laughs> it's got so many quotes he needs to get through and he's just quoting random things like almost all of us do in papers, you know? Uh, 
because it doesn't make much sense sometimes what in the Old Testament he's quoting. So it can be incredibly important for you to go back and reference the Old Testament because it will give you a lot of insight into what it is he's talking about and how he could possibly place this Old Testament reference in this spot. He's about to do this like five times, and we're only going to look at three of them, all right? Uh, because two of them are pretty confusing, and I don't want to spend our time trying to explain them. Okay, so can you do an RSV, or is it just... No, 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 you got it? Isaiah 52, 7 through 15. So anytime there's one of these old B's or A's or anything like that, the bottom of your uh, uh, page or to the right of your page or somewhere to the left in the margins, it's going to have the verse reference, all right? So that's why I didn't give them to you because you've got them. Now that's verse 21. When I read verse 21, you got your Isaiah passage. You doing it? No, no, I don't. I haven't read any of them yet, you know. I mean, it's still working on it. Okay. So the insults uh, of those who insult you have fallen on me. You won't read this reference, but it is Psalm 69. It's David talking. Uh, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing hymns to your name. I'll start here back again in 10 in a moment, but I want to point out just one thing as sort of a tip for... um, reading through Romans, in 15 verse 8, you've got to understand that Romans, unlike so much of the other uh, letters, is it, it, it's often been kind of considered almost a treatise or a, uh, it's, it's almost like a document written that, that, yeah, it was written to the church, but it's written very much like a formal, uh, not letter, but like a um, I don't know. I'm kind of stumbling over my words here because I'm trying to find something that would... It's just like a paper. I just, why don't I just use the exact same reference I used earlier because of the funny quotation reference. But um, like a paper, right? So most of the letters, they're kind of all over. They're dealing with different issues and they have sections. But Paul in Romans develops ideas as they go. So you know any good papers got the, you know, the, if you learn how to skim read, and if those of you still haven't learned how to skim read, here's the tip for how to skim read a book. Read the first line, right, of the paragraph. And read the last line, because any good writing tells you what they're going to say, and then summarize what they did just say. And if you're pretty good at picking it up, you don't really need to read a lot of the middle stuff. That's skim reading, which for some of you, I mean, you know, as you get further and further in school, you just have to learn how to do that. Uh, or have certain degrees that there's a lot of reading, you just kind of have to learn. And the same thing generally for sections, right? Beginning paragraph of the section, end paragraph of the section, well, here's what I'm going to say, here's what I've now said. Now, Unfortunately, a lot of books now today have been written in a way that you could really just read the first chapter and read the last chapter and pretty much get the same thing. Um, but that's not always the best technique, okay? Uh, and certainly in academic work, you can't do that. But that's a lot of, of what you can do when Paul is, is reading th- uh, or writing through these things, is understand the flow of the argument and understand what's, what he says he's going to say, what he said he has said, and then kind of follow the argument here. And uh, it's, it's much more uh, difficult, and that's why it's harder to read, because, you know, reading someone's paper versus reading just a letter to you uh, is much more, much more difficult. But he basically, you know, here, to give you an example there, in 7, he's saying, accept one another. Well, why would I accept anybody? Because Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Well, why does that bring praise to God for, you know, us to accept each other? Because, he says, Christ has become a servant of the Jews, so... He himself has been serving the Jews and has accepted them. And so our act of acceptance for each other is equated to Jesus being our servant. Anytime we serve one another, we join with him in his servanthood, just like we join with him in his suffering, as he mentioned at the beginning of this, when the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And he says this whole thing has started from the beginning because it was to confirm the promises that that God made to the patriarchs. The whole idea of Jesus becoming a servant 
was so that through his servanthood to the Jews, they would then become a servant to the Gentiles. And, you know, we think, well, it's pretty easy and it makes sense. Yeah, except for the fact that the entire nation of Israel never understood that really as a people and as a community. And just the same, we as a church can get very, very into our own stuff and doing our own stuff and totally forget the whole purpose of a church is to bless the community and the nation around us. It's very easy for us to forget that. That as we serve our community, as we serve our nation, as we serve the world, we, in essence, become like Jesus, who from the beginning was a servant to all of the nations. Well, I mean, it's just easy to miss that and forget it. But Paul very much is trying to build this argument and starting with something that's very practical, accept one another, and making it huge and big because of all these things that are already in motion. Okay? So, again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. Yeah, that's a pretty cool uh, illustration, um, although scary. Uh, but is of course, the idea that enemies will come together. That the end goal is that you know, creatures that don't have anything to do with each other will come together, all amazed at uh, the knowledge of um, God who puts them together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I know I've written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Lyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Awesome. All right, so the title of this sermon is Gospel Vision. And the gospel vision has and always will be the same, uh, and that is that God is appealing to all nations. Now, one of the things I want to say about that is that during this time period, particularly during the Old Testament time period, this idea was really just crazy, okay? To, to be fully and completely honest with you, because of how tribal nations were, and because of the war relationships that you had. I mean, guys, remember how much infighting there was within Israel. The kingdom split almost as soon as they got a ruler. And then within that, the tribes all had their own different, uh, you know, animosity towards all the other tribes. And this is within the same people. The whole idea of God being a God of all nations is, was just not on anybody's radar, Okay with the exception of a few prophets and men of God, maybe particularly like Isaiah, who God says it's not enough for you just to be a prophet to Israel, I'm going to make you a prophet to all the nations, which he didn't even understand at the time. This was just not on their radar. Now fast forward to the gospel time period, and all of a sudden you have the Roman Empire, which has conquered a few major nations, and all of a sudden it seems like it's possible for this thing to really happen. And what do the Jews do? They accept it with, you know, complete excitement and readiness? No, they fight it tooth and nail. Now, fast forward again to today, and we understand fully that the nations have in a large part come to us, those of us living in the U.S., but even with our ability to send missionaries places and to contact people, the gospel really can go to all of the nations, whether that's the nations right around us or the nations, you know, where they are. And still, we have the same resistance to believe that that's really possible and true. And that resistance has a lot more to do with uh, really understanding God's purpose and trusting that it's possible 
than it does with uh, you know, anything else. Maybe with a touch in there of the fact that we're terrified of trying to interact with people of other cultures and offend them and do bad things, whether for good reasons because of Christian history or that we're just sort of scared uh, and uh, don't always know how that's going to work. So the gospel vision is and always will be to all the nations. And so that brings up, uh, I think, a couple issues that I just want to bring out from this passage. The first one is that what we're seeing now in the decline of churches in the United States has everything to do with homogeneity, which is just a fancy word for everybody's the same, right? Root word homo, same, right? Same, everybody's the same. Churches decline because everybody's the same, okay? So we got a problem, and it's that our churches are really, really homogenous. If anything, unfortunately, the Protestant legacy in regard to this matter is homogeneity. It's let's all just get together around a few ideas that we believe and feel really comfortable around those beliefs. You see this when Jesus tells the Pharisees that you travel land and sea to find a convert and then make him twice the son of hell as you are. That's where homogeneity becomes the goal of community. We're going to travel far and wide to find someone else like us so that we can make them more like us. Any of you watch that Scientology stuff with, I just see it always on sling. I don't have any idea. I know nothing about Scientology. I don't. I did one of the uh, statements that I thought was kind of cool in one of the commercials, which I, I'm not going to watch it. This doesn't seem that interesting. Um, but I did get on the Dallas Church of Scientology review site, which is really interesting because it's like all five stars are all one stars. And a lot of the one stars were like, this is the worst Arby's I've ever been to. Um, they were like super funny, the, the ones. The one, the one stars were like so funny. So yeah, you might want to read that later if you're just bored and... The one-star reviews of Scientology. And you could tell a lot of people, obviously, too, who, were, who were upset, were upset, but they, were, they hadn't been a part of it. They weren't really talking from within. They were much more just saying, oh, it's a cult, it's bad, it's whatever else. One of the guys in the commercial just said, the difference between a, a, something, a church and a cult is what people do when you leave. I thought that was kind of interesting. I like that. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, but I have no idea where I was going with that. Homogeneity, there we go. Homogeneity is more or less killing our churches today. And I don't know any other antidote for this other than evangelism. Evangelism, in my mind, and although it's become a dirty word in our vocabulary as, uh, you know, smart, wise Christians, often because we associate it with proselytizing, which is you know, another word that we could all unpack, but, you know, the idea of evangelism, meaning just to proclaim the good news to people at its core, is the antidote for homogeneity. It's part of the reason why the Pentecostal church is growing so much, and one of the few that actually is, is because they've been very both internationally and domestically evangelistic. Whereas the mainline, uh, you know, Protestant churches, Methodism, uh, Presbyterians have really not been at all, not at the local level. Uh, and while some of those churches have done some great things with social justice, which is always important, they're really not very evangelistic. Evangelism is the antidote for homogenous churches. It's the only way forward for churches to grow. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to employ evangelistic techniques because it's a great strategy. Because you can have a really evangelistic ministry like Scientology, like Mormonism, like Jehovah's Witnesses, like some really crazy fundamentalist um, uh, Pentecostals, and obviously not be doing God's work, right? We all know that. But I'm not for sure that's what we really are too worried about. Most of us, at the end of the day, evangelism is just something that's pretty uncomfortable to us. Proclaiming the good news in a society that has largely secularized any talk of religion, more so even than politics, makes evangelism completely uncomfortable. Okay? It's just uncomfortable. And it almost always is. Now, it's certainly not more uncomfortable uh, 
than it is in other societies who literally have rules and laws against talking to people about other religions. But we can admit that it is an uncomfortable thing. Okay? <coughs> so I want to talk about just a few things kind of related to this. The first one is that the idea of being a heterogeneous church or being a diverse church is not a goal in and of itself. And when it becomes a goal, it loses all of its basis in Christ because it has nothing to do with reflecting God's will to all people. It has to do with looking diverse, whether that's you think racially, social, economic background, uh, religious belief, Sometimes I feel as if Christians prioritize complete non-Christians coming to faith more than lukewarm Christians really deciding to, to follow God. And you know, you'll hear, well, it's the sheep that was lost. Well, I guess, but I mean, a sheep that's just down on the ground not doing anything probably is equally important to a sheep that's gone wandered off, that's injured. And I think that... Um, we do that because sometimes uh, you know, we want to look different and look diverse, and diverse has become kind of a buzzword for us. But diversity is not a goal and never is a goal in and of itself. Our churches are always going to have their personalities. Our church is probably always going to be a church that brings people from the colleges, which is not very diverse in my mind. Colleges are diverse, sure, but in terms of our age group, People ask us all the time, I can't tell you even well-meaning folks, so have you guys gotten to the point where you're inviting families? And I'm like, how did that become like the standard for success for our church? Is that as long as we have some families, we'll be doing really good. <laughs> I'm like, guys, there's a ton of churches in the community that have families. Like, I'm not for sure that's really what God has given us to do. Maybe he has, and maybe long-term, but right now, we're thinking in the long game, the, the game of those of you who are graduating, and then eventually we'll have families, and then we'll have some families. But the idea of attracting a whole lot of people from the community so that our church can look, you know, heterogeneous, uh, look more diverse, this is the idea of multi-generational small groups, which I've watched uh, mostly fail, because the idea is really wonderful, but you can't force people to do that for the sake of making everybody diverse. That has to be a a inward goal that reflects God's character and God's concern for all people. Because if it's just a competency, if it's just a value, if it's just something we're striving for, a strategy, then at the end of the day, we're not really going to accomplish it. In fact, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when diversity becomes a goal, uh, we'll only attract people who equally think diversity should be our main goal, which is in itself back to a homogenous church. Okay? Everybody who thinks, well, diversity is the most important thing. If God grants us a, a, a very diverse church, in whatever way you want to define that, then that's great. But what I'm saying is it happens as a natural outgrowth of evangelism. We don't stop when we feel like we've become diverse enough. And that isn't, at the end of the day, uh, our simple goal. One of the other problems that I've mentioned already is that we see evangelism as primarily to uh, people who aren't Christian. Guys, most of your neighbors are Christian. Most of the people in your workplace are Christian. Most of the people around you are Christian people. And when we fail to see evangelism as proclaiming the good news to the very people around us just because we have an impression that they're already Christian, we've completely lost track of the idea of proclaiming the good news. And it really conveniently makes it easy for us because so long as uh, someone doesn't come in wearing, you know, an agnostic shirt or quoting from, you know, Nietzsche, then we feel really good about not having to step up and give them a gospel presentation. But most of the evangelism we're going to do is not the kind of evangelism that Paul is talking about and building a new foundation. And I do want to make a difference here because I think in the scripture there's a difference between evangelism, which is really all of our uh, you know, responsibility, obligation, privilege, however you want to think about that, and being an evangelist, which is really all about going out and spreading the gospel in places where it's never been really firmly founded or built on. And I don't think we have to be that. Many of us are probably not called to be evangelists. I'm certainly not. Um, but we are all called equally uh, to proclaim the gospel to people around us. But we have this real, real difficult time 
in any kind of community or, or organization, and of course in psychology it's called in-group, out-group bias, where we constantly want to hold people around us to the same standards as we hold each other in our church. And this is the exact issue that Paul is talking about with accepting weak and strong brothers. Is they didn't have the luxury of this, guys. In their church, their church was full of people all along the uh, you know, spiritual development roadway, a much wider roadway than our church would have been. And they didn't have neighbors that were happened to be Christian. All the Christians in Rome were here in one convenient place. And so any evangelism had to do with going and talking to people who just simply were not Christian. And so it was a very, very different environment. Okay? Very, very different environment. So I'm getting really hot. So I'm going to take this off. It's getting hot in here. I'm starting to sweat a little bit. I think I'm getting sicker and sicker being up here. I have two things I want to say, and then I'll, I'll be done uh, in terms of leading uh, us in this direction. How do we, and, and I, I think I feel like the last 10 or 15 minutes I've maybe gotten off a little bit uh, track with maybe making this sermon about you guys, but I, originally I wrote a note to myself, which I failed to do, which was just preach to myself. <laughs> Most sermons I don't have to preach to myself because I just preach to you. Uh, but this is a sermon that I absolutely have to preach to myself. And so if I get passionate, it's because I'm passionate inwardly towards the own ideas that are going on in my mind. So I won't apply that to you if this is one of those that you're just like, yeah, I know this. What's wrong with you? Uh, or do a great job of this. Uh, actually, if you're feeling that right now, why don't you come up and speak? <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, I, I actually, a lot of this, this came out of our Christmas service, which I really loved. And I thank you guys for putting that on. It was really great, with the exception of some of the longer sharing and silence time. That was kind of boring, but, um, <laughs> but I really loved the service. The service was great. And one of the things that I thought during the uh, service was just in my own um, experiences in the last year, what God was really teaching me, and I felt like what he was really teaching me was just, man, how many opportunities I have gotten, e- even though they're new opportunities, to really just proclaim the gospel to people and, and the good news in their life uh, that I just kind of failed to do because I did a very good job of making excuses that that wasn't the time, wasn't the place. I was at work. I was working. I was busy. My goal is my business. This is a new thing. Um, and it really convicted me a lot in just that, that service time of, uh, and I know I've said this probably like 10 times before. It's because it's taken this long. Uh, for me to remember. And uh, one of the things I really want to focus on this next year is taking as many opportunities as I can um, to in the uh, often daily one-on-one conversations I get uh, to really look to proclaim the, the good news to people. And I have kind of two things that I'm going to start trying to do, and I'll, uh, I'll talk about those here in a moment. The first one is this idea of pleasing your neighbors. Now, pleasing is a terrible word uh, because it, it sounds pushover. It sounds like I'm going to bring them cookies and make them happy. But the word that Paul is using here is, is edification, which is a weird Christian word. But you think of an edifice, a building, uh, the idea of edification is simply building up. It's the analogy that Paul uses in the starting a new foundation. If you want to get technical about it, spiritual advancement, whatever that might mean to you, is learning how to please our neighbors. Now, Paul is very much talking about the neighbors in the church, okay? But this, this, this idea of neighbors is going to translate into any Christians in and around our general vicinity. And the fact that some of us don't even know whether people are Christian around us should be an indictment on whether or not we really are doing a very good job of pleasing our neighbors, Okay? Because yes, there is a different standard. Now, the standard is not so sharp and distinct as it was in their day. Christian, not Christian. But even then, in their church, they had a whole lot of folks that they would not have considered very Christian at the time uh, that they were interacting in the same way that we do in almost everywhere we go around us in a Christian nation. So, pleasing our neighbors. What does it look like to really build up it to edify the people around us of faith. Well, first Paul says, uh, we've got to bear with them, which is probably the biggest one. 
Remember, this is coming off of the accept one another, and those of you who are strong should bear with the weak. Well, to me, bearing with people is really tough. Okay? I'm not a big bearing with people fan. Okay? I like more to just move away (laughs) and not bear the burden. Saddle a person uh, with the burden, uh, take the burden off them completely, and then walk away, but not bear alongside with them. And I'm going to go back to what Paul says here uh, in um, the very beginning of 15. We who are strong are to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor, edify, build up his neighbor for his good. For even Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So it gives a very tangible example of what that means, is that sometimes when we bear other people's burdens, and we are actually bearing them alongside them, we get insulted. Now what does that look like? It, it, these things don't really make sense. Most of us, when we think about bearing someone's burden, we think, oh, they're going to probably be pretty happy that I'm bearing their burden. Guys, most people, when we bear their burdens, don't even know they have a burden. The whole idea of being weak is not that they're coming to you saying, I'm weak, you're strong. I need you. Be my savior. No, the whole idea is they think they're in the right. You're the wrong one for eating meat. And Paul says, yeah, bearing their burdens is going to be tough. But Jesus did it, and it is the most core and basic thing that connects us to the servanthood of Christ for God to give his salvation to all the nations. It just starts there with bearing other people's burdens. That's where it starts and ends, bearing the burdens. Okay? And how those, that bearing turns into insults? Well, certainly doesn't come from someone initially being very pleased that you're bearing their burdens. Because if you're holding up for them and they begin to catch wind of that, they're either going to ignore it, blame you for butting into their business, make excuses for how, well, it was really your responsibility in the first place, and all other kinds of things that come along with that. But we've got to bear each other's burdens for their good. Now, again, that's the sort of qualifying statement here. This is not whipping boy, uh, I'm going to go out and bear the burdens of everyone around me so that they can go on doing all of the terrible things they do, and I'm now enabling them to be even worse at what they're doing. I'm enabling them to tear down whatever walls were already there in existence. The idea is for their building up, the failings of the weak. When they fail, bear the burden, pick them up. Things are going forward, a trajectory, a building a moving upward. And sometimes that seems like going backwards. I've experienced that a whole lot this year in my partner, who I started at the beginning of the year as my partner, and who has ended as our businesses are completely separate, and I don't want to have anything to do with your business. Things have not gone well for you. And that hurts, and that's painful, and that's not fun to have those conversations. Okay? Because there's a lot of burden on me to have to think through how is this best whatever else. Well, that might seem like tearing things down, but in reality, it's putting him in the place where he recognizes the things he ought to recognize so that he can be built up. And we just got to do that with people. Most of us, we just want to kind of stay at arm's length, or we want to bear a small burden, all right? A a burden that's not going to end up in someone insulting us, but a burden that's going to end up in someone being happy with us. But that's not what Jesus did. It's just not what he did. That's not really at the core of what it looks like to be uh, proclaim the good news to people. Two of the questions that I've started employing, which seem so silly, and here you are, here I am in all my wisdom. Are you a Christian? (laughs) I've just started asking that, really in the last month. Hey, are you a Christian? (laughs) No, I really do. It's helpful to me, guys. If I can know someone is a Christian, and that can lead to all kinds of great conversations, and it's not like a, are you a Christian? (laughs) I didn't know. (laughs) Who would have guessed? (laughs) Um, 
there are better ways to ask it, right? Uh, you know, and, and I don't beat around the bush with that one. You know, do you go to church? Are you a Christian? Just wondering. I don't know. I am. I'm just wondering if you are or not. Well, you know, I don't know. I get a lot of responses, a lot of weird responses, you know, from that. Uh, but it's led to good conversation. The second one is, how are you doing? And then, you know, adding really, because that's important. Uh, and then, of course, following up. This is the, one of the easiest questions, particularly with people who are strangers. How are you doing? Really, really? How are you doing? You doing okay? You sure? And I mean, I don't push, because, you know, if they start to, like, tear up when I ask that, I'm going to back up, you know. <laughs> I had that happen twice within the last month. So I've realized, you know, you got to be a little bit less forceful with people. Like, tell me now how you're doing. I'm going to fix this while you're on the job, you know. But, uh, but those are helpful things for me uh, in, uh, in terms of the idea of, of trying to identify my neighbors and really build them up. Well, what happens when, uh, you know, people really aren't Christian? And by the way, again, I, I, I have to remind you, um, you know, the early church very much had a, if you're a Christian, you can come fellowship with us. If you're not, we know that, and we're going to see you at arm's length. And that was important for them in terms of growing and developing. We don't have those neat lines anymore. And it's very difficult. And so for most of us, we probably err on either two sides. We just assume everybody's a Christian around us. Or probably more often than not, particularly as we grow in our faith, no one but people in here are really good Christians. Maybe every now and again, you know, there's someone out there. Okay, if you believe that, then you're treating us like a cult, okay? So we're not, but you are. You're cultish in your mentality about Christianity. So probably don't do that. It's bad. I want to focus in on something, and I think this is my biggest lesson uh, and my major goal uh, really this next year with this. And it's in uh, what Paul says here uh, in 17. It's actually 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed, proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. I just wanted to take this, these two verses and, and show you, Paul mentions talking four times. He mentions doing something once, and he, mem- he mentions signs and wonders once as well. Now, I'm not saying this should be somehow like our um, litmus test for whether or not we're really evangelistic. But I think one of our biggest problems has become that we do not speak up enough. And often. And some of it's this liberal kind of reaction to proselytizing and forcing people's hands and not respecting people's private boundaries. But I think more uh, often than not, it's not because we often don't know what to say. It's simply because we are not really in the Spirit in our times with people listening to what the Spirit wants to do uh, in our conversations. We don't entrust Him to say what needs to be said in the moment of a conversation. And yet Paul is saying, I've spoken, four times he highlights his speech. Once what he's done, and once these signs and wonders. Now he couches all six of those things in that the Spirit is doing those things within him. But we have got to proclaim more the gospel of Christ with the people around us. And, and again, some of us, I think, have gotten ideas. Maybe if you grew up in a Baptist church or you grew up in kind of something that was a little bit more conservative, uh, the idea of proclaiming the gospel is like a sales pitch. You know, if you'll just make it short and concise and move on, we'll save some souls, we'll be good at the end of the year when we say, here's how many baptisms we've had, and we're great to go. That is not building up a building. That is a Lego building that came prepackaged, and you put it down and you said, all right, I did a good job, I built this thing, all right? That's, you know, I don't know what other analogies I can use. Gingerbread type evangelism. Gingerbread houses, you know? Oh, great, you made the gingerbread. Now you can't really live in it, so, and neither can they. Okay, I'm going to stop with those. (laughs) What is this, a center for ants? It has to be at least three, four times this size. Okay, three, is it three? I couldn't remember, I couldn't remember. All right, uh, so 
that's important. We got, we got to speak into the secular void, uh, which is, is so much of the air around us. It's just, don't talk religion, and, uh, and everyone will be okay. It's this kind of secularist void of, and I don't, I'm not blaming anyone for that. It's just become, it, we're, it's out of the public sphere. We can't talk about this stuff anymore. It's not polite. It's not kind. It's not whatever. Um, and uh, in some ways, actually, our generations kind of move beyond that. I find that more and more people are interested in talking about religion with you. Uh, you know, they might not be interested in you, you know, trying to hit a home run and, you know, convince them and argue and rationalize, but people are mostly interested in talking about faith. And uh, the idea of spiritual advancement and building up a foundation uh, are uh, things that all of us can begin to do as we proclaim the good news about God. Two of the questions that, uh, that I have here and, and let me just make a side point before I end this sermon that I planned on being 15 minutes, which just ended up being an hour. Um, that uh, Paul, throughout this, the, these passages, talks about how all of this is sprinkled with hope. Both in, receiving insults, which sounds weird. And the only thing I can really make of that is that as I'm receiving insults, I hope in that God is breaking through the hard-hearted, the, you know, whatever is going on around me, and he's doing something here. Yeah, okay, you know, it's, 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 we don't hope in what's seen, we hope in what's unseen. It's, this person is, God is breaking down these barriers, these obstacles, and for now, I'm going to get to be the, you know, dartboard that the darts get thrown at, but in reality, you know, God shields me from those things uh, overall, and yeah, I get to experience some of the pain and suffering with him, but there's hope that God is doing something much bigger here. The same thing with this idea of proclaiming the gospel, that there's hope that these things, however they're received initially, God is working there. And that's the thing, is you can't possibly do evangelism without hoping in God. Because if you don't hope in God, you will fall back on tactics and strategies. You know, foolproof strategies and tactics that will always, you know, win you the sale, you know? Because God doesn't have to be in any of those things. You know, you win an argument. Great, good job. You received your reward. But in this gray area of uh, what I think Paul really talks about in terms of proclaiming the gospel, we have to hope in God that God is doing those things. And I think it has absolutely been a reflection of how little I have had faith and trust in God that I haven't talked more and proclaimed the gospel to people in my life. Um, I just kind of don't trust that well, I don't know. That, I'm not going to get too much into that for now. We'll explore that later. Um, my two questions here, and then I'll end up, is, is what do you believe about God? Uh, I just talk about that a lot uh, now in the last month. And by a lot, I mean more than I did. <laughs> what do you believe about God? And, uh, and that's not a strange, too strange a question uh, sometimes we think about this like, well, we've got to transition into this, and it has to go. Guys, most people don't have long conversations anymore with anybody. So this idea that we've got to like transition into a spiritual conversation like 45 minutes in. No. We're so random in like 15-minute conversationville now that just coming out with, what do you believe about God? I mean, you know, it's, it, uh, as a couple times I've done that, and I've had some really interesting conversations. People are interested in talking about that stuff, even if it's for 15 or 20 minutes, uh, and it ends up usually being longer than that. And then one of the other ones uh, that I think, um, in my mind, this has become uh, really helpful for me, particularly in dealing with people who are uh, really in a, a dark place and in, in places that uh, uh, they need to kind of, uh, well get out of is really trying to help formulate plans with people. You know, what's the plan? What's the next step for you in this? You know, as I think about the idea of edifying neighbors, and I think this could go to both of these, these points, uh, is really helping people figure out for themselves what's next for you. And the idea of spiritual advancement in terms of progression and then keeping track with people on what, what that is. That, that question I ask more than any of these is, what's the plan? Because uh, I can help give them some insight and do often, and I think this is probably one of more of my strengths, but what, what often happens is I'm helping them plan how to do something better, but not really uh, founding their betterment in any kind of God is with you, I believe that God really cares about you, the gospel proclamation. It's all about let's get this fixed like a counselor. 
and you got to be, be careful about that. All right, I'll end. Uh, I have some weird note down here that I don't even understand. Um, oh, I kind of do. I, this is this, uh, um, one of the most important things I heard all last year, and I don't remember if it was a class or a book or whatever, is that the gospel is, good, is public good news. And that was really uh, powerful for me in my mind thinking, you know, and you're going to see this in the Bible Project video, when someone came to a town and was going to proclaim good news or proclaim, everybody would kind of gather around and hear the news. Because obviously the news didn't spread. They didn't have newspapers, you didn't have social media, you didn't have all these other things. So it was really important when someone proclaimed good news, everyone kind of wanted to come around and hear it. And I think at, at the core of uh, our, our belief about evangelism is that we are giving public good news to people. This is good news that is not private for us to secretly talk about and sing songs about, but that is actually public news, news that people need to and want to hear. And I still think that's one of the real tough things for us to believe in our day and age that, that people, we feel like people have already heard this stuff. They've already heard it. And maybe they have, and maybe they've internalized it, but you've never said it to them, and a person's never connected it. And it's not ever been really real or made sense to them. Not to mention the fact that how many times do we hear things and still don't completely uh, understand them until that kind of aha moment. Um, but this is public good news. And I think, so one of the things I said was that some of our, uh, we need to be a little bit more private in what we put in, in public and a little bit more public in terms of our private conversations. And what I mean by that is that so often we'll talk about the gospel, share scriptures in public environment share things that are deep in our minds that probably ought not be in the kind of uh, public realm. And then in private with people, we often don't take opportunities to share things that, uh, that really ought to be public things to them. A scripture sharing, uh, you know, being able to talk about our lives with someone. And we've got Facebook people who I, I'll sit with them for like an hour or two hours in a week talking with them, trying to understand what's going on, and everything's fine and good. And then three days later on Facebook, it's like, the world is ending. And I'm like, what, what did I miss? I asked the wrong questions. What, what happened, right? Like, what, what in the world? And we've become very good at just sort of speaking into the void and hoping that someone will take our, you know, uh, uh, bite down. And, and we're not, we need to be more private and public and public and private. I'm going to leave you with that because it sounds really good. <laughs> Uh, all right, we're going to take communion. I'm, I'm really sorry that that was an hour. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm just sorry. I'm, I'm sick. Just blame it on me being sick. But I think last time I was sick, I preached like a 10-minute sermon. So I don't, it's just all over the place. You guys know me. Let's try to hurry back uh, from our communion so we're not here till like 2 o'clock. Um, and if you uh, are new to our body or, or can't remember, we, we celebrate communion joyfully. And uh, to us, it's a celebration of um, what Christ has done for us. And I had a conversation just this week with two different people about just how great it is to be a, a part of a community that has shared gospel values and, uh, and how, how we often forget how close we can become with each other um, in a community like this. And that so few people are, you know, we've got 5, 10, 15 friends at a time that we can reach out to, that we can interact with. And even on our worst days, we feel we're not that close or close enough to them. We don't have anything uh, like what so many people suffer through in our society with just friendlessness and lots of acquaintances and no one to talk to, the loneliness that comes from that. And, and that's a part of what God wants, is God wants people interacting and connecting with each other to be a representative of how good he is and his character. And Jesus has given us that. Um, as the Spirit connects us together. And man, that is, that's awesome. I'll say a prayer and then we'll take communion and come on back. Uh, God, will you make me uh, more evangelistic in my life? Will you help me proclaim the gospel to the people that come my way? I mean, I'm not even close. My gut reaction still is to be angry when people bother me. And um, I'm so introverted sometimes and opinionated and just mean and unfriendly. And so I've got, you can make me evangelistic. You can do it with anybody here. And I just ask that, uh, that I want that. I've wanted that for a long time and been resistant and, um, and yet uh, 
you know, what you've, the Spirit has laid on my heart, just the need and desire to, to experience and understand you in that way. I just pray that uh, through the sermon series and through uh, just interactions in this body, uh, you could all help us uh, grow in this, uh, that you may identify people in our church who could fulfill the role of evangelists, that we would follow their lead, uh, that you would teach us through them, and uh, Lord, we just love you and thank you for sending people to proclaim the good news to us at our worst, and uh, thank you for sending people to bear our burdens. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week, and you can get more information about that at dentonnorthchurch.com.